Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America. America might be down, but she's not out. The extreme far left within the Democrat Party, within the media, even occasionally within the Republican Party, are trying to reimagine a new America, their own version of America. And it's a scary proposition. We have a president and administration that support policies that weaken the country and our economy and promote digital currency. What's up with that? We have a Department of Transportation in disarray following this hack or glitch, we should say, air quotes there, that grounded as many airplanes as the 9-11 attacks did. We've got President Biden caught up by more classified documents being found in a no longer used vice presidential office. Will Merrick Garland send out a SWAT team to raid Biden's beach house or his former office because these documents that he refused to return for the last uh, six years were found? I don't know. I don't know. And why did they wait until after the election to come clean on all of this? Plus, we've got college professors that are teaching our children to embrace anti-white racism as acceptable, and they're taught to be ashamed of America instead of to celebrate America. Well, hi there, and good evening. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, the host of America at Night on hundreds of wonderful radio stations across the country. And it is my pleasure to join you in your homes or in your cars or your jobs or wherever you're tuned in from. I do appreciate your listenership. And feel free to drop a comment at Rich Valdez with an S on the social media and let us know what station you're listening on. And wherever you're tuned in, Make sure you turn up the volume, get comfortable, put your feet up, get ready for the best three hours in live late night talk radio. Not because of me, but really because of you, our wonderful audience and the great guests that we're going to bring on, because we're going to try and give you an education in those areas that I just mentioned uh, to really figure out what what is going on. Because, you know, it seems like day in and day out, we make some strides and I think we're headed in the right direction, but we haven't corrected course just yet. And oh, this is a good one here. Good old AOC, all out crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's been dodging my invitations to come on the air since she ran away from me back in, uh, let's see, 2018, 2019. She's up to her old tricks, and she's saying all out crazy things and getting made fun of on social media. Now, this time, she's saying that gas stoves lead to reduced cognitive performance. And she gets into a Twitter war over this with former White House physician and congressman, Dr. Ronnie Jackson. So we're going to get uh, to a little bit more on that later because I think that's funny. But first, I want you to listen to White House Press Secretary, 
Karine Jean-Pierre, as she refuses to answer any questions on why President Biden and the administration hid this information on Biden's classified records being discovered after they were being held by Biden and not returned for six years when they knew this at least two, two months ago. Listen to this. These documents were discovered on November 2nd. This wasn't, this didn't come public until my colleagues at CBS News uh, reported this on Monday. Uh, that's more than two months later. Why was the public not informed while the White House prepared its PR response for two months? Again, this was under review. Uh, this is under review by the Department of Justice. I'm not going to go beyond what the president shared yesterday. I'm not going to go beyond uh, what the, my colleagues at the White House Council shared with all of you as well. Snap. So pretty much she said, uh, no, I'm not saying a damn thing. She's refusing to answer questions and be uh, pretty much straightforward with the American people. Going so far as to say, uh, talk to my lawyer, please talk to my lawyer. Uh, listen to the White House counsel and uh, check out what they have had to say. Oh, boy. Ay bendito is what I say to that. My goodness. This is no bueno. Uh, it really isn't. Th- this is uh, very problematic because, you know, we played the audio of Biden yesterday um, where he said, um, this is uh, reckless, it's irresponsible, it's blah, blah, blah. I think it was from um, August of this year. And uh, he, he was so, um, so critical of President Trump, who just left the White House and took these documents with him. I don't know. When did Trump leave the White House? A year ago at that time that th- this was going on? Maybe a year and a half. It's been two years right now. So it, it's fascinating to me that Biden leaves the uh vice president's post and he takes classified information with him doesn't return it for six years and then we find it two months ago and everything is uh hush hush nobody say a word i don't know this i think is is pretty problematic that we have a second batch of classified documents discovered by biden aides that's the other part of this that i think is interesting again you know working in government uh, i learned a lot of things about a lot of things and one of the things i learned is that sometimes people will go against their own just for their own political advancement. And I've got to say, this seems to me like somebody somewhere, I don't know if it's Nancy Pelosi paving the way for Gavin Newsom or somebody else paving the way for Gavin Newsom, or maybe it's not even for Gavin Newsom, but it does seem to me that Democrats themselves have decided we don't want Joe Biden in a position of strength where he can run again because we don't think he's strong enough to win. So we're going to start throwing out little bits and pieces of things that won't destroy him, but that will continue to hurt him. And again, masterful politician. This guy is the epitome of surviving in Washington, right? He's the epitome of surviving in the swamp. You give him a pair of aviator shades, not even a pocket knife, just a pair of aviator shades and and, and his dentures, and boom, he can smile his way out of everything as long as he's got those shades on. Joe Biden has the muscle memory of a career politician that is unmatched by many. And I learned this lesson when I was invited to a debate watch party some years ago, I guess it was 2008 or maybe 2012. Yeah, I think 2012 when, uh, or 2011, I guess, when they were debating for vice president and he mopped the floor with Paul Ryan. And again, Paul Ryan was, you know, somewhat formidable. But when he went up against Biden, Biden used every dirty trick, talking over him, being nasty, snide remarks, being funny. Again, probably what I would do if I was debating, honestly. And and I thought, you know what, this guy, he's playing for keeps. He's trying to win while Paul Ryan wasn't. And I said, he clearly won that debate. And 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 
frankly speaking, he used the same tactics against Trump. Just Trump was a little bit uh, more ready and a little bit more uh, aggressive in responding to him. But Biden knows what he's doing and he knows who the debate's for. It's not actually against the opponent, but it's actually for the audience. And I think he nails that each and every time. So we're going to discuss that a little bit more in hour three when we uh, get into open phone America. I want to get your reactions to all of that as well, Uh, plus the other topics that I mentioned. And we also have, let's see, the um, former deputy undersecretary, deputy secretary of the Department of Transportation, who's going to weigh in on this uh, debacle that was going on today with the um, Federal Aviation uh, Administration, the FAA, which grounded all those planes, which we haven't seen since the um, no-fly zone was put into effect by George W. Bush following the 9-11 attacks. So we're going to do all of that and more. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversations we have tonight. We're going to get deep on a few things. We're going to scratch the surface and go a little bit even uh, further than the surface to really get to to things of substance. But I think you're going to enjoy it. So don't go anywhere and make sure you chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and give us a call. Uh, 833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S. More to come straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And we were talking right before the break about this uh, debacle where the uh, Department of Transportation is now calling for an after-action report following the FAA outage. They're calling it outage. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, it seems like it was a cyber attack, although they're saying it wasn't, and I don't want to create any rumors, but uh, definitely causes a, a lot of concern for me. So I wanted to get to the bottom of this, and uh, who better than the uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology from the Department of Transportation, Diana Furchgott-Roth, to join us. Diana, welcome. It's so great to be on with you, Rich. Oh, thank you. Welcome back. I appreciate it. So let's uh, let's dig into this, uh, because I, I think a lot of people have heard that, you know, lots of planes were grounded, and... A lot of nothing happened for a lot of time, and there was a what they're calling a glitch or an outage. Uh, but can you can you break this down for us to help us understand what exactly went down? So there's something called a notice to air missions system called NOTAM, and what that does is if there is something that's happening on the ground, such as a fog or an accident, and Uh, the FAA has to warn airline pilots in real time, then they use the system. So if everything is okay and everything's going according to plan, they don't need to use the NOTAM system. But if there's a problem, they do. And the FAA is super careful. They want to make sure there are zero accidents. So if there's any chance they cannot use the NOTAM system, then they ground the plane. Now, what has happened in the past is they have taken the primary system down and used the backup. This time, when the primary system went down, the backup did not work either. So that's why they stopped the flights. Now, 
do we know what the what the reasoning or the um, the genesis of of this why the primary system went down? They do not know why the primary system went down, but they believe that it is not due to hacking. Now, the main system and the backup mm-hmm. both failed. These are very old systems. Both are outdated. They have layered IT system upon IT system. Uh, these systems were not necessarily designed to be compatible and to talk to each other. And they need to be redoing the system. The FAA receives over $23 billion in taxpayer funding per year, and they need to take some of this. Congress needs to allocate some of this to improve their IT systems, and not just this one, but others also. Now, uh, Diana Furchgott-Roth, my, my question to you here is, um, in my lifetime, I don't remember another time this happening, um, whether the system's old or not old. Uh, am I right in that? Do you remember this happening before? Has it happened happened with this severity, or is this uh, not an isolated incident? This is an isolated incident because in the past, when the system went down, the backup system has operated. In this case, the system went down and the backup system did not operate. To my understanding, this is the first time this has happened. Now, someone like me, uh, I'm you know I'm, I'm a critic. I'm a small government conservative, so I would I would typically react to something like this saying, look, more money. I don't know if that's the answer. To me, it's incompetence. And I'm sure it's a little bit of both. You know, I realize uh, I can get uh, ideological at times. But but, uh, do you think that this is the result of incompetence or is this the result of, of Biden just not staying on top of things? Well, these um, these problems have been building for a while. And uh, President Biden and Secretary Buttigieg cannot just take the money Congress gives them, the $23 billion, and spend it on whatever they want. If Congress gives them money, for example, for next-gen biofuel, something they put under me when I was at the Transportation Department, mm-hmm. I cannot take that money allocated to next-gen biofuels, even though I was asking, why do I have to do more research on next-gen biofuels? We just did research on next-gen biofuels. I cannot take that money and allocate it to a new, new computer system. I have to spend it precisely on what Congress tells me to spend it on. So what's necessary is for Congress to take some of this $23 billion in taxpayer funding and reallocate it to improving the computer systems and upgrading NOTAM and upgrading the backup system and making sure that these IT systems are compatible with each other. Now, I remember, and this is a, a separate thing, but just a genuine question. Uh, I remember President Trump uh, going to court over something similar to this, where he wanted to use money that was allocated for something else by Congress, but he wanted to use it to build a section of the wall down at the border. And uh, they said, oh, you can't do that. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, I, the heck I will. And he did. Um, I, I believe he, he took it to court. And I think that they said he could do it and he was able to build that section of the wall. Uh, is that something that Biden could do to um, to get this done? Uh, President Biden uh, might be able to get some of the funds reallocated. That's a uh, budget question. Uh, he would have to argue with Congress about it. It's not something that can be done just automatically. Uh, he could also withhold funds from their correct spending 
from their allocated spending. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the year, with these unspent funds, he could request to Congress that they be reallocated for IT. Got it. Okay. The, the and, other, other, uh, other problem is that Congress gives DOT a very large amount of money, but they line item it so that in practice, people at DOT do not have a lot of discretion on how to spend it. Got it. And, and this number for the, for the current federal year is, is $15 billion. Is that correct? No, $23 billion. $23 billion. It receives okay. over $23 billion. This is a huge amount of money. And, right. no, I was, I was uh, misreading something. It said there's $15 billion allocated for environmental justice and climate change <laughs> mitigation within the FAA budget. Perhaps if they weren't spending on that, they'd be doing a better job with the other stuff. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they need to focus on uh, getting their systems up and running, modernizing their systems and making sure that this doesn't happen because it causes great inconvenience to travelers, great cost to airlines. And they need to make sure... Uh, that they have modern IT systems that work for them and for the traveling public. They need backups that work because one is none, two is one, and three is good. You always need redundancy. You don't necessarily need money for environmental justice, for identity politics, uh, for green (laughs) biofuels, but uh, it's up to Congress to allocate the funds so that DOT can legally use them for the purposes for which they're needed. All right, folks, we're on with Diana Furchgott-Roth uh, from the Heritage Foundation. She's a former assistant uh, deputy secretary for research and technology at the United States Department of Transportation. And Diana, in the minute or so that we have remaining, uh, we want to c- continue to have this conversation and talk about the the huge investment in woke politics versus the the investment in infrastructure. But before we go, I just want you to let everybody know how they could follow you and uh, the work that you're doing. Uh, you can find me on the Heritage website. Uh, I am uh, one of the scholars on the heritage.org or my own uh, webpage, dianafr.com, www.dianafr.com. Now I'm looking at your your bio, and something I think is really cool. Uh, it says you uh, you studied at Oxford. You studied economics at o- Oxford. Are you originally from the UK, or did you just study there? Oh, I am originally from the UK. In fact, I'm a dual citizen. Yeah, I was I, something in, in your really cool accent gave that away. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, we're on with Diana Furchgott Goth, and we're going to continue to uh, Roth. Excuse me, we're going to continue this conversation with uh, her on both this woke agenda, and I also, if, if time permits, I want to delve into a little bit of what's going on with uh, this transfer of money that's going on with the United States, where we're, we've seen money going to China. And um, that's something I think we should uh, add to the discussion as well. So don't go anywhere. There is more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. 
and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and our guest is Diana Furchgott Roth, former uh, Department of Transportation Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology, and a fellow at the Heritage Foundation, where she's a scholar. And uh, we were just talking about the the implications of spending all this money, um, you know. 15, it looks like, let me just make sure I got my facts right here. 15 billion of 2023 federal funding for the FAA includes a special focus on environmental justice, climate change mitigation, and prioritizing sustainable design and construction. Uh, Plus, it also includes enhancing equity through more inclusive contracting. Now, again, we talked about how their current budget is 23 billion. And their next year budget or this current year budget is going to be $15 billion, uh, w- of which includes this woke agenda. Uh, Diana Furchgott-Roth, uh, help us understand how our federal government justifies making these expenses when the infrastructure is failing and the focus is on wokeism. Well, each administration has its own priorities uh, under Secretary Chow. The priorities were safety, infrastructure, innovation. The priorities now are climate change, electrification, uh, and uh, yeah, basically climate change and electrification and social justice, those three. So when a new president is elected and the president, President Biden, did run on a platform of social justice, electrification, and climate change, the priorities at an agency changed. And uh, this is what has happened at the Transportation Department. We can criticize the department for having those priorities, but the American people elected President Biden, and these are the priorities he has chosen. So in order to change that back, we need to elect a Republican president who will move things back more to the technological area and away from uh, climate change, social justice, and electrification, because moving towards more renewable energy puts us in the arms of our enemy, China, makes us dependent on China for the solar panels, uh, the wind turbines, and the batteries for the electric vehicles uh, that are made in China, rather than using our own clean natural gas. And yes. I, of course, okay. prefer using, using our own uh, resources, and I prefer the focus on infrastructure uh, and technology. 
of course. Now, speaking of China, which you just mentioned, um, you have a piece on Heritage.org that I was looking at, and I think it's a pretty interesting one. It's got a few key takeaways, uh, the title of which is Uncle Sam's Three Christmas Gifts to China. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, So what I do is I describe the policies that we are giving to China in terms of Christmas gifts to China. In other words, the environmental, social and governance movement, climate change and battery electric vehicles. And uh, these basically make us more dependent on China, not using our own resources, not using fossil fuels does not help the environment because the wind uh, turbine, the solar panels are all made in China using coal-fired power plants. The batteries for the electric vehicles are now primarily made in China using coal-fired power plants. So that is in raising global emissions. As we offshore more energy-intensive manufacturing from the United States, where it is made with clean natural gas, to China, where it is made with coal-fired power plants, Uh, This does not help global emissions. In many ways, it increases global emissions because uh, manufacturing in China and other parts of the world are not regulated as much as they are in the United States. Yeah, and from what I understand, uh, to to procure the elements like the cobalt and lithium to, for these batteries that you mentioned, I, I think these excavators use something like 1,000 to 1,800 gallons of uh, fossil fuel per day. And uh, that's a lot more than it takes uh, for other systems that we have, from what I understand. Now, that, that was a great point, I think, that you made. There's another point that you made on how America's basically conceding um, some political power that it might have as well as economic strength by following the ESG movement. Break that down for us a little bit. Well, the environmental, social and governance movement wants to move us away from uh, the, the fuel that we produce here in the United States. And we have the Securities and Exchange Commission looking at the effects of climate change on companies' investments. We have the Office of the Controller of the Currency uh, looking at climate change risks to banks and discouraging them from investing in conventional fuels. This raises the price of electricity, uh, making it harder for low-income Americans to survive. And as we know already, uh, the price of electricity, uh, the price of um, gasoline, the price of eggs, milk, agricultural products is very high right now. People are hurting. And using more renewables, especially renewables from China, uh, raises those prices even more to those who can least afford them. So this ESG movement, environmental, social, and governmental, which discourages companies from investing in America's own resources, is raising the prices and hurting all Americans, especially low-income Americans who can least afford it. And lastly, uh, switching gears, I just want to get your thoughts on some of these headlines that we heard today, Uh, the biggest one of which is that there are new documents found classified documents that were found that have been, I guess we can call lost or uh, unknown whereabouts for the last six years. And we find out two months ago, or we find out yesterday, the day before today. And, uh, but the Biden administration knew about it at least two months ago. How do you react to that? 
Well, when an administration departs, uh, things are very, very chaotic. Uh, I'm sure it was unintentional for President Trump to take some documents with him. I'm sure it was unintentional for uh, President Biden. Um, President Obama probably had some, too, to take the documents mm-hmm. with, with them also. And uh, I think people should be understanding that uh, presidents and former presidents make mistakes and that these things happen. And fortunately, no, there'd be no breaches of national security. And we should just move on. We should try and be more civil to each other, I believe. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with what you're saying. And I, I feel that um, the media, uh, of all people, who sometimes, um, oftentimes, most of the time, shows an impartiality uh, to one party versus the other. I feel that uh, I think they're getting that message as well and saying, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, dissolves whatever issue there was versus Trump now that the current occupant of the White House did the same thing without the same protections of being commander in chief and having the ability to declassify and whatnot. So uh, interesting. I appreciate your take on that. Uh, That's Diana Furchgott Roth. She's a former Department of Transportation Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology. And she's also at the Heritage Foundation, where she's director of the Center for Energy, Climate and Environment and the Herbert and Joyce Morgan Fellow. Diana Furchgott Roth, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on, Rich. You're welcome. Have a good night. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Give us a call, um, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-V-A-L-D-E-S, my last name. That's Valdez with an S. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media because I want to hear from you and I want to get your comments on things and I appreciate those. Plus, our new number, 833 valdez Give that a try. Let me know how that works out and uh, we're going to get to your calls in a moment. I want to go to this uh, clip of audio. Uh, let's see, where did, it, where did it go? Cut number hmm, six. This is Caitlin Collins. Uh, she's a host on CNN today uh, talking to Congresswoman. Um, I always forget. She's from Jersey, too. But I, is it Mickey or Mikey? Uh, but let's go with Mikey, Cheryl. And um, saying that, you know, she she's not very, very concerned about what's going on with these uh, documents uh, that were found regarding uh, President Biden's um, obfuscation and, you know, failure to return these things for six years. That seems to be falling deaf uh, on deaf ears, I should say. Listen to this. Does it concern you that this happened, though, the day before the midterm elections? That's when these documents were found and we're just now finding out about it? It it does. I'd have to look as to you know, when they were discovered and why we're just finding out now. Um, that does concern me. This has to be a very transparent process to ensure, again, that we're handling the classified secrets of this country very, very carefully. But I, I do, you know, sense that everything that that he suspects might be classified has been turned over immediately, that they're working closely to make sure they're following now the rules and protocols, which does stand in stark contrast to everything we've seen from Trump. 
Okay. So yeah, there you go. Uh, well, I trust that everything Biden did was on the up and up and that's what matters. Uh, although everything that we see from Trump, you know, obviously there was something that was very, very, very bad there. And you know, it's funny. I always share with you that I, uh, I, I go to the same spot every day. I'm, I'm a sucker for loyalty, uh, for my uh, cafe con leche, espresso coffee. It's very strong, put hair on your chest type of thing. And uh, I go to get a coffee and, uh, the, he always jokes with me when I walk in, he says, Oh, you know what? Uh, he makes this big announcement when I walk in. He lets everybody know. He's like, oh, that's that's Rich Valdez. I'm like, stop, man. But anyway, and he says, I spend the last two hours of my night after we clean up the restaurant, after I've had dinner, after I've talked to my wife, two hours before I go to bed, I watch all the political stuff. I read the different newspapers. I, I you know, I look at everything I can to be ready to, to, to trade barbs with you tomorrow. And uh, so today he says, so tell me, what was the one fundamental difference between President uh, Biden's documents being found and President Trump's. And I said, I don't know, maybe that the ones that they found for President Biden were when he was vice president. So obviously he didn't have the ability to say, I'm declassifying those because he doesn't have that authority as the commander in chief. But Trump did. Also, another key difference was that you've got Trump having left office, you know, months earlier, a year earlier, uh, 18 months earlier, if you know, I, I'm looking at the timeline. Whereas Biden's been out of office for six years. And he says, no, no, that's not the difference. (laughs) And I said, okay, you tell me what's the difference. And he says, the difference is that Trump was being accused of obstruction of justice. And he puts his hands on his hips, sticks his chest out like Superman and, you know, tilts his chin up. And I said, what is that supposed to be? Some sort of mic drop moment where you win an argument? And he says, well, of course. He says, you see, because that's what they're accusing. I said, look, they didn't accuse Trump of anything. They suggested that they were going to research around these these, these things. And I guess you could say, I'll, I'll, I'll concede the point that it's an accusation. Uh, but none of this stuff has been proven. And I guess we could make the same uh, accusation uh, against President Biden if we decided to make some trumped up charges. So again, I don't know if I'm being too trivial, uh, but I think this this is not a key difference. I think this is what they're making up in order to uh, to make it look like it has something. And clearly, we've seen nothing materialize to that end. But what do I know? Let us go to Robert, who's got a call that's entirely off topic. Robert, go right ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, this this also concerns safety in an aircraft. And, uh, and I wanted to mention to you, yes, uh, with regard to rabbits, rabbits and hares, and uh, also rats and uh, mice. Were, were, until 1912, they were categorized in the same category as rodents. And in German, the word for rodent is nagetier. Naga, naga means chew, and tier means animal, so a chewing animal. But they got, they got separated in 1912 because there were enough other differences. But really, the airlines are concerned with them because they're afraid that the rabbit might, or hit, might slip away and get behind the, um, in German, they call it the verkleidum, which means the panel, and get to a you, wire. You've got to wrap this up, Robert. You're losing everybody. Okay, they, they they were afraid that the animal might might get behind the verkleidung and 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 chew. You still there? Hello. Yeah, you lost us, Robert. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please, somebody get the give it give it three hundred joules. Amp it up. <laughs> Clear. We're gonna have to shock the audience after that one. Thank you, Robert. We uh we appreciate it. Anyway, uh, we will uh, continue on our conversations with callers from across the country and uh, your comments, both those on, on the phone and online. I'm looking at a couple right now, so I'll get to you those as soon as we come back. I'm Rich Valdez. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Is America? This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Big shout out to Christina Camerana, listening on WGN in Chicago. Looking at my uh, comments here. Thank you, Christina. I appreciate your kind words. And Joe Scarborough, you know him from The Morning Joke on MSNBC. He um, he says. Look, Joe Biden didn't commit any crimes with the document. And, you know, this is what I feel is happening now in the media where they put all of their stock in this most recent uh, let's get Trump, right, where everybody's up in arms, including my barista, my Cuban barista, who says that, you know, no, 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 the big key difference. You know, Trump's still, you know, we, we should we should uh, firing squad. Right. But uh, Joe Biden, oh, it was just a simple mistake. Clerical error. <laughs> and what um what uh, what what Scarborough is saying here about Biden, to me, makes all the sense in the world. And I rarely agree with him, but I think he's saying this because now everybody's changing their tune and trying to soften their approach because they realize, you know what, this, this isn't as big a deal as we thought. You know, it was a big deal when Trump was the only guy doing it. He stole the documents. He was selling the nuclear codes. Have you heard about the nuclear codes lately, anybody? Is anybody still saying that? Is anybody still talking about obstruction of justice? Hmm. I don't think so. Um, But listen to what Joe Scarborough had to say. Listen, if Joe Biden committed a crime, charge him. If Donald Trump committed a crime, charge him. That's pretty simple. Guess what? Joe Biden didn't commit a crime. They found the documents, they turned it back. Donald Trump most likely did commit a crime, and it's straightforward. So if Merrick Garland or anybody at the DOJ are wringing their hands, (laughs) they're not just doing a disservice to America, they're doing a disservice to justice, they're doing a disservice to the rule of law, if they in any way are distracted by this ground noise. Again, let me say, If in their investigation of Joe Biden, they find anything illegal, charge him. We're a a nation of laws, not a nation of rulers who are above the law. I know Donald Trump thinks he is. He's not. Okay. So he he tries to clean it up at the end. But uh, essentially here, it looks like damage control, right? To me, it seems like damage control from Joe Scarborough. Because Joe Scarborough and a lot of uh, folks in the media, there was a few people on CNN the other day. Uh, with it, making the same thing, saying, look, in, in effect, this whole case has fallen apart. Even if it doesn't fall apart uh, with the DOJ, it's falling apart in the court of public opinion. Because unless you're just an avid Trump hater, which, you know, I'm finding that there's there's a good amount of them out there. But by and large, there are a bunch of people that are like, look, I didn't like him because, you know, he tweeted this and he did that and he's his bravado and he's just blah, blah, blah. But look, they look at their pockets, they look at their 401k, they look at everything and they say things were a lot better just uh, three short years ago. You know, so I think more and more people are inclined to to miss Trump. And I see those interviews, you know, man on the street type of interviews all the time on social media and whatnot, where people are out there saying, you know, uh, what, what do you think about Donald Trump now? 
And they're like, uh. Then you also still see some where people are saying, look, we need tolerance. We need love. We got to embrace the other side. And uh, then they say, what do you think about so-and-so? And they're like, oh, he should be hung. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, hold on a second. What happens to tolerance and love? So these are um, some of those things that I think uh, we'll continue to to see from the media where they say, look, look, it was a simple mistake. And if Trump that made the same simple mistake, then he should get the same thing as Biden. There's probably worse things he's done, and they'll have to focus on something else. Maybe they'll go back to January 6th. Maybe they'll switch gears to something else. Or they'll just have to find an entirely new shtick against Trump. Either way, I think um, this is the the end of the, the attack on Trump. I could be wrong, but um, that's what my gut tells me. And I got a pretty good-sized gut. Anyway, I also wanted to give a shout out to Daryl Jean or Daryl Jean125 on Twitter. Said, Rich Valdez, congrats, nightly listener. Love the show, especially the final hour. Not digging the new bumper music, though. <laughs> and Or the voice talent. Meh. Oh, well. Um, sorry, we can't win them all. But he says, otherwise, you rock. I thank you, Daryl, for your uh, thoughts, although they were critical. Much appreciated. Rich Valdez coming right back. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Good evening. Hour number two of our program. Give us a call, 833, the number four, my last name, Valdez, 833-4-Valdez. And I want to get into a little bit of what's going on in, in with, with just a lot of things uh, with this great reset stuff. And again, I don't touch on this topic too much because I'll be honest, I always say, I think the guys behind it are so uh, out there. Right. This Yuval Harari and Klaus Schwab. It's like Dr. Evil and number two. Right. It's they're just crazy to me. And the things they say are so out there that, you know, years ago, my brother who who loves this stuff would tell me, oh, you got to watch out for this, blah, 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 the weft, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, whatever, you know, not happening here. The U.N. not taking over, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, here we are. Fast forward six years. And this stuff, you know, everywhere you look, there's a little bit more of it each day. They're talking about central bank digital currencies. They're talking about um, ESG, 
uh, this, um, you know, the, the beginning of um, the Chinese credit score for American businesses. And I could only expect my children will be talking about this and saying it's the Chinese credit score for all of us. And my children are older, so it's not like they're five. You know, my daughter's 21, so I'm saying in her near future. And uh, my other daughter, who's 17. So uh, I think there's a lot of that going on. And this Great Reset stuff seems to be a topic uh, that a lot of people want to discuss. And one that I, I'll tell you, I'm still skeptical that it's, it's really going to happen. I don't think they're going to pull it off, but maybe I'm wrong. And to help us make sense of all of this stuff is Professor Michael Rechtenwald, Ph.D. He's a distinguished fellow at Hillsdale College and the author of The Great Reset. Professor, welcome. Hi, Rich. Nice to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you joining us to help make sense of of this stuff because there's really just so much to talk about. And I know that you've written about this and you've written about a lot of things. Uh, But maybe, um, I guess, a good place to start is, you know, Telling everybody w- w- why you, you wrote the book, uh, you know, why you felt it was of importance to get this message out there. Well, I, I think that the Great Reset is already underway, and uh, I wanted to uh, tell people what are the, you know, what are the uh, implications of this thing, just what is it uh, aiming to bring about, and what are the signs of its uh, appearance, and uh, so. Uh, I wrote The Great Reset and The Struggle for Liberty in order to uh, not only tell people all of the uh, elements of it, but also to uh, give, a, to give a, a, a sort of a blueprint for how to oppose it, how to, how to overcome it, how to resist this uh, Great Reset. Because uh, unlike you, I do think it's already happening, and uh, we see it in many ways. So w- what is happening is, it's not sold as the Great Reset wholesale. It's retailed out to various nations under a diff- under different names and guises. And this is what uh, I think is going on. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Uh, my my um, my my uh, skepticism is more so on, uh, I guess the the um, this finality of it. And, and and you might be right. It may very well end up that way. I just don't feel like we're there right now. And I think Americans are smarter than that. But, you know, I've been wrong in the past and I do agree with you. Yeah, I think ESG is definitely a good first step. And that's here and it's happening. And we're looking at it, staring it right in the face. And the central right. bank digital currencies. Yeah, that's they're talking about that. I mean, every other day I see a new article on that saying we're considering it and it's going to be implemented soon enough, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, maybe, um, you know, now that you've, you've kind of set the table, uh, walk us through some of those things. We, we've discussed ESG in the past, but we haven't really talked a lot about the, the World Economic Forum or the rest of these clowns that 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 really pushed this idea and where it came from. So maybe walk us through a little bit of that. Okay, well, I would just say, you know, first of all, that the Great Reset is really a project uh, inaugurated and being coordinated by the World Economic Forum, headed by Klaus Schwab, as you've mentioned. And I actually do compare him in the book to Dr. Evil, uh, (laughs) because uh, I I do think that, for example, the GM, they ran a a commercial over the Super Bowl, not in a last year's Super Bowl, where they had Dr. Evil uh, played by, you know, played... Uh, by, uh, I Mike can't remember Myers. his name, but anyway, by Mike Myers. And uh, I, I swear they were actually invoking uh, Klaus Schwab with that commercial. Uh, oh, that's funny. But the Great Reset's really a project. That you see, in, in uh, 2019, 
the World Economic Forum signed an agreement with uh, the UN, and uh, they agreed to uh, bring in and to accelerate uh, the uh, implementation of Agenda 2030. Mm-hmm. And Agenda 2030 is this agenda to uh, reset the economy so that it's uh, sustainable. Uh, it's all about reaching these sustainable development goals. And, in fact, uh, we see these goals being implemented uh, in the United States already with uh, Biden's 12-plus uh, uh, executive orders mm-hmm. uh, basically declaring war on uh, fossil fuels uh, with the uh, so-called uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which has $287 billion directed toward climate change mitigation and, in effect, uh, you know, again, declaring war on fossil fuels. And this is what's driving uh, the fossil fuel prices, you know, with the cancellation of uh, uh, leases for drilling and the uh, Keystone Pipeline and so on and so forth. This is all part and parcel of the Great Reset uh, being enacted right under our noses. And uh, so I wanted to uh, basically get the message out there about what all of this thing involves. And uh, it's all being undertaken to usher in what is called stakeholder capitalism, which is to reset the the capitalist system to a new economic order worldwide uh, that would be so-called responsible to so-called stakeholders. But really what it amounts to is an elaborate uh, cartel scheme uh, by Mm -hmm. which uh, they... to direct capital to the preferred producers and starve off uh, the, uh, the non-compliant. And uh, so this is a cartel that's being established. It benefits particular stakeholders, uh, these particular stakeholders, and it's being driven through the ESG, as you mentioned, and uh, it's being delivered top-down from the major asset managers of the world like uh, Larry Fink's BlackRock, Inc., and uh, right. State Street, and UBS, and the Vanguard Group. All of these major asset managers, the top three of which control $22 trillion worth of assets, which is like the GDP of, of, of major nations. I mean, this is an incredible amount of money that's being directed through this uh, stakeholder capitalism. And uh, Larry Fink said, directly to uh, CEOs and in his letter to CEOs that stakeholder capitalism is capitalism. So this is not um, a, a trial run. This is actually being initiated. Well, Professor Michael Rechtenwald, this sounds to me like the system of capitalism that's used in communist China where they starve off a select few and they use this credit score. So we're going to get to that uh, a little bit more right after this break. I want you to stick with us. And when we come back, I want you to tell us about the fourth industrial revolution and more specifically how a central bank digital currency or a CBDC and transhumanism fit into this model created by the World Economic Forum. So don't go anywhere, folks. Uh, we're on with Professor Michael Rechtenwald, distinguished fellow at Hillsdale College, author of The Great Reset, and we'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of these social media. And our guest is Professor Michael Rechtenwald. He is uh, describing what is happening in his book and uh, the path that we're on with the Great Reset. And we were, before the break, just talking about uh, a few different components to this Great Reset, one of them being the central bank digital currency and the other one being transhumanism. Professor, go right ahead. Yes, so all of uh, the, the technological component of the Great Reset is being ushered in under the rubric of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, so-called. And uh, Klaus Schwab and, uh, wrote a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And in that book, he described some of the panoply of technologies uh, that, we, uh, that are emerging out of the so-called Fourth Industrial Revolution. The First Industrial Revolution was, of course, the mechanical, then the second was the electrical, and the third was the digital. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution is a, an acceleration of the digital and the uh, the uh, merging or melding of the physical, biological, and digital worlds, as he puts it. And so what he's suggesting is that effectively human beings will become digitalized. Uh, we will become uh, effectively data points in a massive matrix, if you will, and not to necessarily invoke the matrix metaphor, but it's really kind of unavoidable. Uh, so... What we're looking at is a number of technologies that would be used for tracking, tracing, and surveilling human beings to an extent never dreamt of by the likes of Mao and Stalin. Uh, we're talking about uh, not only digital uh, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. We're talking also about personal carbon footprint tracking. We're talking about digital identity. We're talking about... Uh, CBDCs, and transhumanist technologies like brain cloud interfaces, such that your brain will be connected to the cloud directly. Uh, this is all being heralded by the likes of Yuval Harari, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. And uh, they suggest real that... Real you know, the trans- Yeah, he's a real piece of work and uh, not, a, not a nice human being because he suggests that basically... The elite will be uh, able to attain this transhuman status, and uh, the rest of the human race will be made basically obsolete. Uh, Their function will no longer be necessary because labor will be carried out by AI and robotics. And so given these useless eaters, as he puts it himself, uh, the only thing to do with them is to basically control them through technology. Uh, And so that's how it would be implemented through such things as brain cloud interfaces uh, and AI, of course, to basically uh, intervene in our our thought processes and decision-making processes. And effectively, we would become remote-controlled speed, you know, a remote-controlled subjects. So that's, that's really where they're coming from with this. Uh, CBDCs, of course, is a centralized banking. Uh, it means that the Fed, in the case of the United States, uh, all of your all of your holdings would be held by the Federal Reserve, uh, who would have complete surveillance over spending, savings, and debt. That means, given your digital identity, they'll have a profile on you, uh, a complete profile from cradle to grave. This is not just an identification. This is a complete database that travels with you, and that it, it, it basically records your every move. 
from the cradle to the grave. So we're looking at a kind of a total control system here. So if they're going to bring about this great reset and stakeholder capitalism, and and as I've described it, is it is capitalism with Chinese characteristics. It is very much like the economic system established in China. In order to maintain this totalitarian regime, you need this this kind of technology to uh, to bring it about and keep it in place. Wow, that's that's a lot, and uh, and it's and it's problematic. Uh... If this were uh, one of those episodes of Change My Mind, I'd say you've done a good job. And I, I knew most of this stuff, but you, you strung it together wonderfully where, yeah, it looks like I'd say we're, we're probably like 60 percent of the way or 40 percent of the way, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of the way through this great reset. And if this central bank digital currency, and to me, this is probably the biggest one, the transhumanist stuff I get. Uh, and and you, you positioned it really well. Uh, because I do believe that there is going to be a continued push to replace people with robotics and AI. And and uh, I've heard Yuval Harari discuss more times than I'd like to how he'd like to occupy <laughs> humans. And um, what, what what was the term that you said he called us? Hacking uh, humans. He liked yeah. hacking humans, yeah. No, no. The other word, uh, food eaters? Was that what you said? Oh, useless eaters, yeah. Useless, useless eaters, eaters. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right. This guy, he's really something. But um, uh, it's the CBDC that I think is really how they get you. Right. In my opinion, That's right. because right now, if I, if I go to the bank and I take my money out and put it in my safe, it's in my safe and it's mine and whatever it's worth, it's worth. Right. But you can't really do that with this CBDC. There, there's no more. I have the ability to 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 be free. Right. I, I believe that capitalism is liberty. Right. I, I believe that yes. if I, I can go do whatever I want because I have money and I can do whatever I want to get money as long as I'm not robbing people. You know, so if I want to shine right. shoes or sell cars or whatever. And that really goes away when the government can freeze your money, right? And people say, well, they could totally. re- freeze your assets right now. No, but not that way, right? You can't freeze the cash in my safe, right? They can there, do that there, there could, if cash is useless and it's all electronic. That's right. And there could be real-time taxation uh, on the spot of every, of every transaction, uh, negative interest rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, they could certainly treat, uh, totally freeze your funds if you are uh, an undesirable, if you are some sort of a dissident, or they deem you to be, uh, you know, a domestic terrorist because you don't go along with the climate change agenda or what have you. I mean, we already see this kind of political uh, profiling going on by big digital. They've been doing this with social media and Google uh, for uh, a decade and a half at least. And so this yeah. would be uh, an accelerated and amped up version of that, where big digital really is this uh, digital, digital big brother, as I call it, and uh, would have uh, the ability to completely control your spending uh, that could shut off your account at any time, uh, that could uh, surveil upon everything you do, all the transactions you make. And if they outmode cash and utterly ban it, then there's really no there's no outside of the system which makes it totalitarian yeah and and just a quick aside i saw here that you were a professor at nyu and you're not there anymore it's i was a student at nyu and i'm not there anymore (laughs) because they were just so woke crazy and leftist and would not tolerate me to have views that a coincided with my faith 
and B went against what the professor was uh, teaching up there, and and it was it got very ugly very very fast, and that was a long time ago. Well, yeah. but it's interesting how you know it. It seems like they did, what they did to me. They did to you. They did to me. They. I was a very early victim of cancel culture, uh, for coming out against the woke agenda. Uh, basically, they destroyed my academic career in that phase of it. Anyway, I've managed to uh, survive and do f- fine without them. Thank goodness, and yeah, uh, landed actually well. thriving. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an actually like I consider myself a uh, an intellectual entrepreneur, and, uh, and and likewise, I get to write and say what I want without them. Uh, you know, uh, without the threat of cancellation, they said I good had for you. I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to remind people where to get the book. It's the Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty: Unraveling the Global Agenda by Professor Michael Rechtenwald. Professor, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. You bet. Hope to have you back soon. All right, folks, we're live. It is late night, and we're going to continue our conversation. Don't go anywhere. Straight ahead, we're going to discuss what's the problem on college campuses. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. of hair in live late night radio six years in a row it's rich valdez all right america welcome back i am rich valdez our telephone number 833-4-VALDEZ with an s and our guest right now is jen cabany i hope i said that right uh editor-in-chief at the college fix jen welcome thank you so much it's great to be here oh, thank you all right, so I want to get into a few things. There's a couple of articles that you've got out that I think are fantastic. And earlier, uh, I was discussing a little bit of the uh, the crazy that goes on on college campuses. And I'm not talking about frat parties and, and drinking games, but I'm talking about the crazy coming from academia itself, the um, mm-hmm. the huge push, or I should say leftward lurch that we've seen over the last several decades. And where whereas I was off... off um, off mic during the the break, I was saying, you know, back in the days, college was like a little bit this. There was always liberal professors, but it's not liberal professors anymore. Now it's it's a, a completely woke agenda. I think that's really kind of permeating every discussion, no matter where you go, and um, it, it seems to be only paired with cancel culture if you if you don't buy that. So tell us a little bit about this this uh, cancel culture and how it's affecting people. Well, what you said is 100% spot on. What parents, students, lawmakers, activists need to understand is that DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, critical race theory, it has permeated into the classroom. You know, gone are the days I was in college in the 90s. I, I don't know. I would never presume to know what decade you were in the college, but uh, gone are the days where, you know, again, it was just a couple of lefty professors, but you had a fun time and everybody was just mellow and chill and getting through college and we treated mm-hmm. each other like equals. That was the good old days in the 90s. Now, everything is seen through the lens of race, gender and sexuality, everything from the minute you send your freshmen into, you know, freshman orientation to to the moment they leave accreditation agencies require 
these colleges to teach DEI in their in their curriculum. Um, they they insist on um, skin color quotas, uh, but the administration and the professors are all for it anyway, and they and they mm-hmm. welcome these kind of mandates with open arms. So it's not. I mean, at the college fix, we cover sort of the jaw dropping campus culture wars, and a lot of that is the cancel culture that you see. Um, where students are are not allowed to say what they want, professors and guest speakers are shut down, mascots are uh, done away with, statues are mothballed, paintings are taken down, you can't say this word or that word, all of that. But what what we really have to understand, it's far more insidious than that, and it is in the curriculum, it is in the classroom, and that's the stuff we don't see all too often. Yeah, and well, to to answer your question, yeah, I, in two thousand one and two thousand two, I was at NYU. And I had taken uh, like two gap years, <laughs> maybe okay. two and a half. And um, it, it was crazy. It was very, very, very crazy time. And, and it was just the beginnings of that. It was, you know, just a few. Wait, crazy you were professors. at NYU in 2001? Yeah, I'm 44. Oh, wow. So that was a, that was a big year to be at, at NYU. Yeah, well, anyway, and it was crazy, and it was the beginning of, uh, you know, not to get, you know, to hijack it with my story, because I talk a lot, but um, it, it was just crazy to see the the push, and it was just the beginnings of not just what you said about, you know, gender and, and, and whatnot, but it was really sexuality. Sexuality was really being pushed, um, like, all sorts of questioning of sexuality, and, and it was just fascinating to me because i was like why are we talking about this like we're talking mm-hmm. about u.s history right like right. how did we end up on this <laughs> it's a calculus so it just, class what are we doing here <laughs> right it was so odd and um you know and in the sociology class forget it it was just like whoa uh, so it was i i saw that myself and i was like man this is interesting stuff right here so uh, i could only imagine how in you know again that was 21 years ago how how much it's changed and we could see it we could see it in society you could see it from young journalists young professionals young bureaucrats everybody else that's graduated in those recent years that has a totally different view uh on the media on how government should operate and uh i just you know as much as i see it staring me in the face i'm still surprised by it i'm really still shocked by which is why i like to have interviews with people like you that that kind of are in the thick of it because you, you help make sense of it and I've seen cancel culture go after so many people. You've seen so many conservative commentators that have been, um, you know, banned from campuses, and they've gotten they've gotten into fights, and they've had to call police, and it, it, it's just so um, so crazy is the is yeah. the word. And I'm looking at a piece that you guys wrote that says there's 85 campus culture, uh, 85 times that cancel culture took down speakers, scholars, and statues in 2022. Uh, Give us a few highlights, if you can, uh, from that piece, because I think that's a, that's a fascinating thing when you quantify it. 85 times, Absolutely. it seems like a lot. Yeah. No, and, and, and actually, so what we did um, is in the fall of 2021, we launched what we call the Campus Cancel Culture Database. Because what was happening was every week we'd have these flash-in-the-pan headlines you know, speaker shut down, mm-hmm. you know, honorary degree revoked, um, you know, you know, students, um, you know, told not to say the word American, like whatever, but it, it would be one a week and you, we'd read it and we'd move on and we'd read it and we'd move on. And I said to myself, how much, how, somebody needs to quantify this. Somebody needs to add all this up. Somebody needs to track this. Um, and that's what we did. We literally created a database that tracks and quantifies 
the breadth and depth and scope of the campus cancel culture database. And since we're the college fix, we, we do that for higher education. So we launched in, in two, two, tw- uh, the fall of, of 2021 with about uh, 1,200 entries. We are now up to um, 1,620 entries. And um, as the story you cited mentioned, we added about two a week over the last year. And so some of the highlights, well, probably your audience might have heard how Stanford decided, you know, some some bureaucrats over at Stanford decided the word American shouldn't be used. Um, And just today we had um, headlines about USC School of Social Work saying you shouldn't use the word field. Like, yeah, like F-I-E-L-D, like out yeah. in the field. <laughs> I just got that article from the producer a little while ago, and, and uh, I'd seen it briefly yesterday, field or field work. And I thought, my goodness, what is happening? We're banning well, like, all sorts of words. This is the mind of a liberal. This is the mind of a leftist. Like that you would say field work, that's racist. Is it? <laughs> like you're the only one that thinks it's racist. I don't think right. it's racist. I mean, who like goes there? Who attaches that? See, this is what I'm saying. Everything. It must be, you know, they say they're exhausted. You hear that complaint from, from leftists a lot. I'm so yeah. exhausted. I would be too if literally everywhere I looked, I saw I oppression. <laughs> right. <laughs> These microaggressions are killing me. I needed an app. Yeah. So, oh, anyways, but yeah, so that's another, you know, one that they just came up with. But we, we've tracked. All of the, all of them. I mean, because when we launched the database, we went back into our archives and we plugged in, you know, all all of the headlines over the years. But um, a couple of of headlines that we had in 2022: uh, university changes Thanksgiving closure to fall break over inclusion concerns, painting of old white men smoking in cigars taken down after female scholar complains, student journalist demand college cancel what is a woman event. Princeton may remove statue of founding father John Witherspoon. Riot police deployed to quell protest against conservative Turning Point USA event. And on and on it goes. I mean, it. I could literally read off the headlines and I take up the rest of your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let me just remind everybody, folks, we're on with Jennifer Cabany. She's the uh, editor in chief at the College Fix, thecollegefix.com. Make sure you check it out. I check it out all the time. Uh, because I think this is one of the one of the many battlefronts that we have in, in the war against um, leftism or whatever you want to call it, wokeism, uh, is our institutions of higher education. And I worked in higher ed for, for a bunch of years. And thankfully, I worked in places where I didn't see this type of thing. But it's it's a shame to see what's happening where that was one of the crown jewels of, of America was our institutions of higher education where they were, you know, kind of you know, these, these beacons of, of, uh, excellence. And, uh, I got to tell you, they've lost a lot of their luster in my opinion. Oh yeah. And, and there's a growing awareness you see where people realize the return on investment is not what it used to be. And more and more people are choosing a different path, whether that's the military, whether that's maybe starting at a community college or going to a vocational school or an apprenticeship, learning a trade, uh, they're, they're real or code learning to code. I mean, it and tech, it's more about what you know than the, the degree you have. A lot of uh, jobs in tech say, or equivalent work experience. Mm-hmm. So there's different avenues now. And more and more people are saying, well, forget this. I don't want to spend 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year to just be indoctrinated. And if you're a white male, just being told that you're evil and the, and the root of all problems in on the globe, basically. 
Yeah. Folks, we're on with Jennifer Cavani, editor-in-chief at thecollegefix.com. And straight ahead, we're going to continue our discussion um, on what's going on with some of the other topics they have. One of them is the Harvard Medical class focusing on the LGBTQIA plus infants and older. I want to get to the bottom of that. That sounds kind of crazy. And uh, your calls and more are number 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. We're on with editor-in-chief at thecollegefix.com, Jennifer Cabany, and we are discussing um, some of the great articles uh, on this website, really good stuff. Uh, Jennifer, tell us about this uh, this piece that I mentioned before we left about the Harvard Medical class focusing on LGBTQIA plus infants and older. So basically what they are teaching is that Apparently, in this medical school class, they're telling students that infants can identify as LGBTQIA or plus. Don't forget the plus. Yes, of course. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I would love to explain this, but it actually I, I have a hard time understanding it myself because for <laughs> many for many years you were you were born that way, right? That was it. They were born that way. But then more recently I told it's a spectrum. It's a choice. I don't know what, which one I'm supposed to, or is it both or is it neither? Is it a mix? Like it's really hard to follow what they, what they want us to uh, believe and support. All I know is I doubt very highly that an infant is thinking about sex. That's all I know. Yeah, and you know what's what I find interesting here is, and I think you're 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 accurate in what you're saying. Uh, what they're saying is that Harvard Medical School students can learn how to provide health care to infants who are identifying as part of the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. And the the problem here is while there are some I don't want to call them scholars, but people out there that are promoting the idea that infants can be many different things. How on earth would anybody really be able to prove those things other than like they feel pain, right? You pinch a little fat baby and they cry. So, you know, they feel yeah. pain. Uh, you know, they cry if they're hungry, if they need a the diaper change. Um, I don't know if, if you can um, diagnose or study uh, a child that's, you know, three, four, five, six months old and, and say, you yeah, know, this kid, this kid is, um, you know, on the uh, LGBTQ plus uh, spectrum. And, and And I think... Not only can you not do it, in my opinion, again, I'm not a scientist, nor do I play one on the radio, but I, th- I think it's, it's not healthy to do so. Like, why on earth would we do that when these are kids that may not even walk yet, right? But this is uh, w- what, they're, what they're kind of uh, asserting. And, and in a different piece I'd read a while back, there were some people saying that as young as three months old, kids can become racist. Uh, they can develop racial tendencies uh, to prefer one race versus another at three months old. A- and... You know, I read these things and I think we as a society, we have a problem here, right? If you if we're not calling these things out for what they are, 
um, we're part of the problem because it's clearly lunacy, in my opinion. And that's why I like your website, because you guys do it in, a, in, a, in the most professional and academic way that, that can be done. So I do appreciate that. Now, uh, I wanted to move over to another story, more, more current, right here on your front page today, about public universities across the country banning the uh, Chinese Communist Party's influenced TikTok application. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so this is mostly happening in the red states, but essentially uh, the government is saying you cannot have, well, the, the state governments are saying you cannot have the TikTok app on the phone that taxpayers are paying for. You know, a lot of uh, professors, scholars, administrators might have a, a, like a company phone that, that the university pays for, yeah. i.e. the taxpayers, and they're saying you got to get it off. I mean, these things are it's spyware, basically. And so, you know, Idaho, um, Texas, Georgia, um, Alabama, a bunch of different states are saying it's, we got to get this app off because the, our, I mean, the, the CCP is using it to gain access to our internal information, our, our scholarly work. Our because apparently the terms of service for TikTok is basically like you sign your life over in blood. I don't know. I'm, I'm paraphrasing <laughs> here, but essentially what I've heard is like right. it's the most extreme, crazy thing you've ever seen. And they basically have access to all the bowels of your entire phone, you know, photos and everything and audio and this and that. So I think people are wising up to the fact that this wasn't a great idea to just, you know, it's so, you know what? I actually do not have TikTok on my phone just for the reason that I've heard it's it's such a nightmare when it comes to the access it gives. So I just have never ever installed it and I've never regretted that choice. But now Me more either. and more public public universities are saying get rid of it. Yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, but I think that the big issue with TikTok was that they lied and and they got caught in that lie not too long ago saying no we would never do that and then they did store a bunch of data on Chinese servers and, uh, you know, we're caught in the middle of a data breach and there there went everybody's info. So uh, we've heard China that lied. You, you yeah. don't say I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. Believe it or not, that happened. <laughs> who who would have thought who would have thunk it? All right. Um, uh, stick around with us where we have another segment to go and uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Folks, we're on with Jennifer Cabany. She is the editor in chief at the college dot com. You can follow her on Twitter at Jennifer Cabany. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with Jennifer Cabany, editor at the uh, collegefix.com. Uh, Jennifer, before we um, wrap up for the night, I wanted to uh, ask you or give you the chance to uh, let everybody know how to follow you, how to support the work you're doing, um, give them the whole College Fix spiel. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yes, well, ma'am. we're essentially a nonprofit daily news website that's focused on higher education, and we cover you know everything from free speech and due process to cancel culture, you know the microaggressions, things, toxic masculinity, white privilege, DEI, anti-racism, 
and all the other campus culture wars you've probably seen in the headlines. I've but actually we do been advise, diagnosed with um, toxic masculinity. Just letting Oh, you were? Know. Yes. I don't think you can be male and not be toxically masculine. Very few are. <laughs> Very, maybe like Al Gore and one other guy, but other than that. <laughs> Anyways, so um, but we, what we do is uh, we train students, undergrads, um, how to be reporters you know, on their own campus. And we ask them, like you said, I mean, we don't use hyperbole. We don't use exaggeration. We just have them tell the who, what, where, when, and why. And, we, you know, it's a, it's a very straightforward news article. We, we get both sides. We allow both sides to, to say what they want. We quote them. And then we post those stories and we launch media careers. We offer um, journalism internships and the like. And, you know, we're really just trying to raise up the next generation of liberty-minded, independent, and truthful journalists. And we have a pretty good track record so far. We're about 12 years old. And, um, you know, every day it's something new at the College Fix. We kind of treat it like almost like a digital daily newspaper. And trust me, there is just never a dull moment. So I would advise people to sign up for our, our newsletter. I only send it out twice a week. You can sign it up. You can sign up on our on our website. Um, and I, I, I try to keep to that promise because I know sometimes when you get you sign up for a newsletter, all of a sudden you get like 10 emails a day from them. That's not us. Um, and then we're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and uh just share our stories you know that's one of the one of the ways to help solve the problem right the ship is awareness i think i think still a lot of people it's preaching in the choir but there's still a lot of people who do not know the 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 severity of the problem so if you could just share our articles that that would just be great well reagan said it best we have to be informed patriots jennifer cabany thank you for your uh, service to the country and check her out at the collegefix.com thanks for being with us thank you You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead with Open Phone America, plus the rest of the stories we're talking about. So make sure you tune in. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Hi there and good evening. Our telephone number is 8334-VALDEZ, 8334-VALDEZ. Or you can still call the legacy number, 866-505-4626. You're welcome to dial in and share your opinion on our late-night town hall, right? That's what this is, a late-night town hall for America where we uh, everybody gets to chime in on what's going on in America. I love to hear from everybody from every walk of life because to me that's what really adds value uh, to this conversation that we're having. And I view it as a conversation, not just a a monologue where uh, I do all the talking. Although I do like doing a lot of the talking, gotta tell you, I enjoy it. But I, I also enjoy hearing from you and having the dialogue with you, and even the occasional dissenter, you know, and uh, tire kicker and whatnot. Uh, that's fun too. I really do enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to your calls. I see that there's already calls from Pennsylvania, Montana, and a couple other places coming in. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But I I always talk about chiming in online, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. And I rarely get to um, 
read the comments on the air because a lot of times I read them off the air. But I wanted to share a couple. Uh, Mark Turner uh, is on Facebook, and he says, Love the new intro format and bumpers. A touch of nostalgia and bringing the noise. Thank you, Mark. And uh, Suzanne Stepanek says, Mark, glad you like them. Some of us don't like them so much. <laughs> Love the show, but not a fan of all the new music. All right. Hey, listen, that's fair. I understand that. You know, something that um, the late, great Jim Bohannon told me before he went to be with the Lord was that he felt this same pressure when he um, assumed this time slot from uh, the late, great Larry King. So I understand that it's uh, it's a transition and it's tough. And, you know, you're just not always going to win when it comes to replacing music that's been around for, you know, a decade or two decades or three decades. So I get that. And I do appreciate the feedback, irrespective of that. I um, I'm a fan of you guys who are listening to the show. So thank you for that. Now, I want to before we get to the calls, I want to get into a little bit of uh, a recap on what we talked about tonight. Right. Because we talked about the um, the FAA disaster today that grounded planes all over the place. And now the Department of Transportation is calling for an after action report following what they're calling an outage. I um, I did uh, sense that this was a, a cyber attack. But again, they made it clear that it was not a cyber attack. And when I say they, I think I'm talking about uh, Secretary Buttigieg, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but this is cut number two which I didn't uh, call for, but I'll call for now because I think it's important uh, that you hear him say it. Listen to this. Any indication that there was a cyber attack involved? There's been no direct evidence or indication of that, but uh, we are also not going to rule that out until we have a a clearer and better understanding of what's taking place. But again, uh, no indication of that at this time. Well, that's pretty good political doublespeak. Uh, we know there's no wrongdoing of a cyber attack, although we don't know. We don't know. Uh, but but we're going to say we're ruling it out at this time. But we're not really ruling it out because we, we don't know. And do you know what actually happened, uh, Secretary Buttigieg? Now, this one is cut number three. Uh, he says, um, I have no idea what happened. Listen to this. Well, now that uh, the system is up and running, our primary focus is to determine that root cause. And I've directed FAA to figure out exactly how this happened, uh, the timeline piece by piece about uh, what was known overnight uh, going into uh, last night and then coming out of it. And most importantly, uh, as you might imagine, a critical system like this has a lot of redundancy built into it with backups. So we need to understand why with uh, all of that redundancy, it's still rose to the level uh, that there had to be a ground stop lasting about an hour and a half and the kind of delays that we saw. Oh, that's really good. That's really, that's fantastic. (laughs) So, you know, imagine this, you you go to surgery and they're like, well, look, we're going to put you under anesthesia. We're going to do this. I've done this a million times. uh, So we expect it to go well. You know, there's always a chance that something could go wrong, but we expect this to go well. Uh, and then, you know, something goes wrong and you're like, well, you know, we, we use the anesthesia. <laughs> we, uh, we, we had the nurse on standby. We had an, uh, an anesthesiologist. I don't know. Just, we did everything we could. And I don't know. It just, it just, it, it seems like such a, 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 a flip way to answer these questions. He has zero clue, right? And he's already said that he has zero clue what's going on. He says that we have these backups. Clearly somebody didn't do a good job. And do we blame you? Yes, I will blame you. I will blame you and I'll blame your boss, Joe Biden, because who else are we going to blame? 
right? When things don't go wrong somewhere, you can blame an individual who's responsible directly. Sure, right? Whoever is the um, the head of the FAA, we got to talk to that guy. Talk to the guy who's in charge of the FAA's IT. But at the end of the day, if you're not, you know, inspecting what you expect, we're going to have a problem. Houston, there's a problem. And in this case, it was not just Houston. It was everybody. You know, Dulles Tower, everybody was like, sorry, bro. No bueno. And I think this is a huge problem. But according to Secretary Buttigieg on uh, MSNBC today, he says these glitches and complications, well, they happen all the time. Listen to this. There need to be redundancies and uh, layers and layers of protection here. Uh, this is an incredibly complex system. Uh, so uh, uh, glitches or complications uh, happen all the time, but we can't allow them to uh, ever lead to this level of disruption, and we won't ever allow them to lead to a safety problem. Sir, you already allowed them. This happened today, right? In my lifetime, the only other time this happened was after we were attacked by terrorists. And they had it like shut the nation down for a day and a half, right? They stopped the stock exchange for a day or two days. And that was the end of that. The only the only other time I saw that was during COVID. And they didn't stop all air travel during COVID. Fascinates me. He doesn't know what's going on. It's not a cyber attack, but I don't know what's going on. And this happens all the time, but it's never happened before. Fascinating. What is happening here? Like, why is this, this guy, have you noticed they don't let Kamala Harris say anything? Que mala eres. They don't let, they don't let her say anything. She's rarely does one-on-one interviews. She rarely does press. She does very minimal, very short, very short leash type of stuff. And I would suspect that that's going to be the case moving forward with Pete Buttigieg. Because to me, I, I was dissatisfied. Yes, maybe I'm being overly critical, but I was really dissatisfied with his response. I always believe in contrition. If you're making a huge mistake in front of the whole world and it's clearly you're bad, just stare into the camera and say, you deserve better. We need to do better. And you have my commitment that we're going to work hard to make sure we do better. That's it. Just, just say those words and leave. You have no answers. Right in this situation, he's pretty useless. Very disappointed. Very disappointed in uh, Pete Buttigieg. I don't even know Pete Buttigieg, but man, this is not a bad look for uh, not a good look for America. It's quite the bad look, in my opinion. Anyway, your calls and more coming up straight ahead. Eight three three four Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, looking at a story here, it says that somebody returned a book to the library today that was due in 1981. Now, I'm thinking... I hope they got some sort of amnesty because that would have been quite the bill with the fine, right? Even if it's the library where it's like five cents a day or whatever it was, that sounds like a tough one. Anyway, let us uh, get to some of your calls. 
503-505-4626 or 833, uh, the number four, and Valdez. Let us go to Farentino, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Farentino, go right ahead. Simple questions there, Rick. Now, the last lady, I didn't get her uh, website. What is that? Thecollegefix.com, I think it was. The College Fix is the uh, website. Okay. And uh, the pod, you have a podcast going on, right? Where I can look back and see past. Oh, yeah. Shows. Yeah, the, the podcast for the show is America at Night. Thanks. That's, I'm supposed to plug that once per hour. So <laughs> good thing you reminded me. America at Night. You can um, get it wherever you get your podcast, and you can listen to the replay for sure. Now, right, what that, yeah, was your comment on on the uh, the guest? Oh, yeah, when she was talking about the college fix, um, I called to the talk show KDK yesterday uh, about the college. I took a course, just a refresher course, U.S. History mm-hmm. One at my community college, and instead of putting something wonderful like we did the space flight or. Iwo Jima, guys raising a flag, or Martin Luther King speaking. They put a poor family on the cover of the uh, book. Uh, you know, a poor family and a black family, actually. And it's like, um, I just don't understand. Uh, well, you know, and there was a lot of stuff about, you know, the, the America being prejudiced, you know, racist and different things. But I dropped the class because I, I, I don't, uh, you know, uh, but I just wonder, isn't that, is that, isn't that so that, disheartening? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm there's a lot of racism. You should believe you me, I'm not a racist at all. Tell me about my friends and the No, no, I'm that. saying the fact that you can't learn about American history without being taught to hate America. Yeah, I mean, show you know, show show wonderful show George Washington Carver, the guy that made the uh, the I don't hear you hear the story about the real McCoy? You know why they say that something's the real McCoy? You know why they say that? The guy that invented this pump, a black man, an engineer, invented this pump for the uh, for the um, uh, for uh, geology, you know, for uh, uh, mining, a pump for mining, mm-hmm. and it was so good that people tried to copy it, and then say, oh, I don't know, I want the real McCoy. And his last name was McCoy. Oh wow, I didn't know that. And, I actually uh, thought it had to do with those little pills, the the little McCoy pills from back in the day. Oh, so. I thought it had to do with the. TV show, but uh, anyway, the, um, but yeah, put something, you know, uh, you know, like the space flight, that to be a war, but, you know, I know, but you know, something great about, it. don't show a family who was impoverished on the cover and then talk about how the American Indians are wonderful because, which they were not, you know, they said, yeah, in a, in a, a male dominated white America. And, um, you know, it's like, yeah, tell the truth about history. I'm all for that. You know, and it's a great point. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. It's so many things that you mentioned, whether it's the male-dominated society. It's interesting how they don't do that. Like, have you ever heard anybody attack Iran and say, oh, Iran, because of this male-dominated society? Nobody attacks them for anything, right? It's okay to be the way they are there. They're not considered human rights abusers or misogynists or anything else. But if it happens here, then it's every label in the world. And I'm not saying it's okay to do it in one place and not the other. I'm just saying if you're going to call it, call it everywhere. Don't just call it selectively. And for a country that's created, I don't know, the automobile, uh, like you mentioned, the uh, the sending the first guy to the moon, um, let's see, air conditioning, um, the, the light bulb, electricity. I mean, there's so many things, so many first, the airplane that we've discovered here and technology that we've created uh, over the years, the telephone and uh, 
to to just turn a blind eye to all of that and fast forwarding, right? You know, Twitter, Facebook, PayPal. I mean, just whether it's it's one thing or another, um, the United States has led the way uh, on so many good things, so many good innovations. And it's a shame that when you study American history, they don't lead with the Industrial Revolution and how and how we became, you know, the the most powerful economy uh, on the planet. And it, it's just uh, it, it's a shame. It really is a shame. Thank you for the call, Farentino. I appreciate it. Let us continue. <clears throat> Let us go to Claire in Wilmington, Delaware. Claire, welcome. Hi. I want to tell you first that I love your show. I, I wasn't sure I would like anyone after Jimbo Hammond for years, but oh, I frequently do. You're a very good replacement. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. And uh, it says here you're calling on WDEL 1150 in Wilmington. Yes. That means um, you're, you're neighbors with Joe Biden. Uh, he's very close by. I used to see him come into church late when I was uh, uh, in my 20s, actually. At I'm Saint blaming Patrick. you for this then, Claire. This is all your fault. <laughs> yeah, I used to see him at a place called the Charcoal Pit, and he went from Delaware listening. I mean, he, he was around Delaware. We would see him. Um, I'll get to what I want to say, but what you were sure. just talking about before this call, you know, I do believe I'm an independent and I'll be fair. I was a Republican, but they are not conservative anymore. So I find them at fault as much as I find the Democrats as useless. I expect it out of Democrats. I don't out of Republicans. But I will say that I do believe the Democrat Party is is a communist party with the way the things they push for and destroying this country. They never defend it. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard for the members of Congress to come together when our country is, you know, people are trying to tear it down. But they are the ones encouraging it. They are pouring the gasoline, in my opinion. But that's not what I called for. But I just want to yeah. say that. Well, it's a fair point. Really and let me just add it. add to your point uh, that uh, not just Democrats, Mitch McConnell. I, I've got to tell you, if 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 the communist shoe fits him and I don't want to say he's a communist, but I will say he takes action that seems to benefit those that are communist sympathizers. And that's shameful. Go right ahead, Claire. You know, and on that point, too. It took me a long time. Probably I started out voting, uh, let's see, it would have been 1984, the first election. I graduated in 82 from high school at 18. So Mm -hmm. uh, it took me a long time, probably till McCain, when I was like, you know what, this party doesn't represent me. And it took me to to, up until Romney. And then I was like, I'm done with this party. I don't know how long (laughs) it's going to take Democrats to see that that they are not representing them either. I actually think it's time for a third party, a faith and freedom party that brings back the belief of this country in faith and the idea of freedom. It needs a third party because these two are not going to get it done. And people that believe that I don't even trust either of them anymore. I'm done with them. But this with Buttigieg, what I did call to say, Mm -hmm. I'm a believer and I've become so cynical in politics and I'm not a cynic by nature. But when they tell you not to worry and it's nothing, that's when you want to worry, and it's worse than you think, because this makes no sense. And when they get on and tell me, oh, it's nothing, and we don't suspect this, use your common sense. Right. How do you know? You don't know anything, and you just told us you knew nothing. Exactly. And and it just uh, I watched a famous newscaster once say that he talked to another newscaster on his show, and this one newscaster was saying, you know, well, this is what I think. And he, he said when the show was over, the other guy whose show it was, like really laid in and yelled to him and said, you know, what do you mean coming on my show and talking like this? And he says, well, I told what I think is true. He says, you'll scare the people. You never tell the truth. 
And after <laughs> I heard that, and these are these are famous people. If I said their names, I don't know if I'd be allowed to. People would be. Oh, you oh could my say God. whatever you after like. I, Neil Cavuto and Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck said Neil Cavuto told him during the 2008 crisis when he came on and said, "This is what I see." He said that Neil Cavuto, after when it broke the commercial, really laid into him and told him, "You're not coming. You know, like you're not coming back. You never tell people the truth. That would scare him to death and make this worse." When I, I heard, heard that, that oh yeah, I heard Glenn Beck tell that story, and I just thought after that, when they tell you, when they don't want you really to know, they'll downplay it, and that's when yeah. it's really bad. That's my opinion. So, but I appreciate your time. Just wanted to share that little story. Likewise, Claire. Thank you for calling. Call again. I do appreciate it, and I think you raise an excellent point that uh, oftentimes people uh, will. Um, Will, will will be a little bit shady in what they're doing. And I, I wasn't aware of those stories uh, with either of those gentlemen, but I do know we see that every day on our news. <laughs> People uh, tend to turn away from the truth uh, just to admit omit facts just because it's convenient. Kind of like Pete Buttigieg saying, well, you know, we don't know, but I don't know, but it's not a cyber attack, but I don't know. <laughs> more to come straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Uh, your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. Okay, so let's just, uh, it's called the blind leading the blind. <laughs> this is Joe Biden outside the White House today, the president of the United States, and he says, we don't know what the cause is. And that noise in the background is his uh, helicopter, Marine One. And he says, I just spoke with Buttigieg. They don't know what the cause is, but I was on the phone with him the last 10 minutes. I told them to report directly to me when they find out. Aircraft can still land safely, just not take off right now. They don't know what the cause of it is. They expect in a couple of hours they'll have a good sense of what caused it and will respond at that time. This is the president of the United States. This guy should know what's happening in other countries and does when things go south. How is it? Are you going to tell me our, our whole airline system broke the whole thing? And uh, what happened, Mr. Pro I don't know, but I called I called Pete Buttigieg. Excuse me. <laughs> Hold on. You're the president of the, of the free world in, in effect, right? I mean, obviously just our country, but the leader of the free world, you know, it's you, you get these intelligence reports. You get all sorts of stuff. And and you don't know? I mean, you should have some idea. You know, we think it's a system outage. I don't know. We, we forgot to pay the bill. We, we decided to go green and we didn't have a solar panel. Nada. Zero. I, I talked to Buttigieg. Ten minutes I've talked to him. We'll know in a couple of hours. I, I just don't think it's fair. 
I don't think it's fair. I think either you say, I uh, can't make a comment on that right now. We're working on the situation. We're going to prepare a, a, a briefing for you shortly. Stay tuned. Or you say, uh, yeah, here's what I know. But this, uh, this, this, uh, I don't know. And not even saying you're going to find out. Just, I don't know. As soon as I find out, I'll let you know. I, that's not good enough for me. It really isn't. Not when an entire piece of major infrastructure that reports to the government, right? All the air traffic control people, those people are all federal contractors. I just don't see how, I, I just don't see how that you can just be uh, so, well, you know, was it a cyber attack, sir? Uh, they don't know. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> that that really inspires so much confidence. Doctor, did you see my uh, my my blood test? Uh, well, I called the lab. No results. Is it cancer? Well, we just we really we really don't know. I looked at it. I don't know. I, you know, we don't know. <laughs> it, it's you've got to inspire more confidence. You've got to be more direct. You've got to do a better job because otherwise people just aren't going to I don't know. They're just not going to have confidence in you. And and it, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong for expecting so much. If you think I'm wrong, send me a quick tweet or a Facebook or Truth Social or any of the social media, get her, uh, and let me know what you think. At Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez, or give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ is the new phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to James on 103.9 WFAS, New York City. James, welcome. Yes, good evening, Rich. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks, sir. How are you? I'm still here. I'm alive. <laughs> Amen. My dad always used to tell me, every day above ground is a good day. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Three three quick ones. Uh, the first one is that according to the New York City Department of Homeless Services and uh, one major newspaper, I think it's the Post, the New York Post, a, uh, a report came out stating that the 2,600 people that the city has in temporary hotel housing uh, appear to be very dissatisfied with their situation. The city has been spending about maybe close to twenty-five to $30,000 a week feeding these people and providing them with various little things here and there. Uh, what's been happening is that the people living in these hotel uh, rooms have been discarding all the stuff that the city gave them, the food especially, they were they were they the city had to hire a special carding company to remove the food from the from the premises. A spokesman, according to the memo, a spokesman for the uh, illegals who were in the hotels at, at taxpayer expense, stated that the majority of the the refugees, quote unquote, from uh, the southern border, want mm -hmm. apartments with gas stoves and refrigeration. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's the first thing. That's well, let's talk about that one because that's a pretty big story, right? And and it's well, interesting. Well, I, I, I think there's one or two others. Well, we will. We'll get to those. But I want to talk about this one for a second because I feel that this was first. This was also part of my my conversation with my Cuban barista, where uh, he he was telling me. Now, this was not part of his daily political debate with me, but this was more so part of his discussion on his wife that works for a large hotel corporation in Times Square and tells me that her friends who are part of the housekeepers union brought her up to speed on what was going on and they're planning to walk out or have already walked out saying they're no longer going to offer any maintenance. Uh, they're not coming to work and they want to get paid because they were saying, 
what's happening is not only are there tons of um, food and and there, there's prepared food that's sent uh, to to these individuals, and it's getting thrown away whole. But there's also boxes upon boxes of beer and other beverages that are piling up outside the the, the rooms. And they said, you know, it's just too much. You know, we're, we're we're here to fix the beds and clean up, you know, one or two trash cans that are in the room. But the amount of garbage that they're producing is way more than we've ever, ever had to throw out before. And it, it's just not part of what we do. And and it's a big deal. And again, this is coming from someone that works at Marriott. She's not in housekeeping. She's um, in, in the banquet services uh, function. Uh, but it was just amazing to me that this is the story and the report that I was getting from, you know, the, the play-by-play from somebody who's on the inside. And and uh, then I saw the same thing you're talking about, the, the piece in the New York Post, where it says tons of foods getting tossed out daily because of the migrant hotel and they don't want to eat it. And, and this is a, just a horrible thing because when you look at it on the macro level, at least when I look at it on the macro level, I, I remember AOC complaining and saying, you know, the problem with homelessness in New York is that all the rich people, you know, uh, th- they'd rather have empty properties than allow places that are vacant to be occupied by those in need. And I thought, A, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <clears throat> but B, now they've got the government kind of doing that, saying, oh, you- your hotel was closed during COVID. OK, great. We'll pay you 500 bucks a night per room. To, to house these people that are being bussed here by Greg Abbott and others. And, and, and there's this massive crisis of people where, as we were having this conversation, a third patron comes over and says, oh, and I was in Times Square on a date with some girl this weekend. And two guys, one from I forget where and another guy from, um, I think he said Haiti, uh, got into a knife fight in Times Square, and they're, they're you know stabbing each other, cutting each other. He said it was, it was insane and people running and and I thought, wow. And and the consensus of the conversation was New York City is really lackluster. New York City's really not where it once was. And New York City really, really needs help. So I appreciate you bringing that up, James, because I think we uh, we really have to kind of um, focus on on some of these quality of life issues that are the result of catastrophic uh, political decisions by the current administration. And what was your other point? The other point is just just a quick one in passing, and then there's one after that, maybe 30 seconds. Uh, the, there was a, an anti-Catholic organization in the United States. I think they're based in uh, Missouri, I'm sure. But they, they issued a, a newsletter where they're reporting that people who are living in Spain uh, are now suing the Catholic Church for the, the injustices done. They're looking for reparations uh, for the injustices done to people during the Spanish Inquisition, which was sponsored by the Catholic Church. <laughs> reparations. That's one. That That's one. The, the, that's It's neither here nor there at this point, but the, the main thing, the last thing I'll leave you with tonight is very simply, the news media is completely void, as are the tabloids, of any information or updates about those poor people who were arrested on January 6th for trespassing and parading, those poor individuals, many of mm. them innocent. 
What, what's happening with those people? I'd really like to know. I, I, you know, we, the last time we had Julie Kelly on, she uh, wrote the book on January 6th and does a lot of work around um, helping those people with get the legal representation they need and, you know, bringing attention to the issue. Um, what I heard was a lot of that, the people that were being held indefinitely, a lot of them were, were, were released on bail and whatnot. So I don't know that that's still the case, but... I do know there was a few that she mentioned on that show, and we should probably invite her back for an update, uh, that she mentioned that there were still some people that that were still being held, uh, but did have contact with their attorneys, did have, you know, some dialogue going on, but they still didn't have resolution on their case, so they had to remain uh, in jail. And uh, it's very unfortunate. And uh, we also had Brandon Strzok on, who talked about his time where he was held, and most of it in solitary which was very debilitating, didn't know if it was night or day and had very little to eat and uh, really mentally and physically broke him down. Really, really, really tough, tough scenario. But thank you, Frank, uh, excuse me, James, excuse me. Um, I appreciate the call from New York City. The producer is yelling in my ear that we have to go to break. So we're going to do that. We're going to come right back. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. You, President Biden, you are the first president of the United States in a very long time that has not built not even one meter of wall. And that, we thank you for that, sir. (laughs) <laughs> All right, that is a translator speaking for Mexican President uh, AMLO, uh, Lopez Obrador. And uh, fascinating, right? Thank you for not building the wall so they can get rid of whatever they don't want in their own country and as well as just serve as a conduit. Now, the other day I was reading something that said that in Mexico, there are now people on the take. Um, and this was a, a report or a testimony from a government official saying that there are so many people compromised by the cartels that all sorts of government officials are just asking for money at every level saying, oh, pay me for this, pay me for this, I'll get you across, I'll get you across. And once you're on the other side, the U.S. people will take care of you. They'll give you a fine, they'll give you some paperwork, but you'll you'll be released into the interior of the country, which is exactly what's going on. So this is a very coordinated effort. And uh, for... Everybody except now in recent days for the Cubans and the Haitians, because Biden said, if you're Cuban or you're Haitian, we're only letting in a certain number and we're going to send you back here. and We're going to do that and this and that. And and you're going to have to qualify. Right. That's what he said. Uh, But here you have the president of Mexico telling the president of the United States, thank you for not building not a single inch of border wall since you've been president. (laughs) I got to tell you, uh, you can't make this stuff up. This is funny, funny business. Anyway, let us uh, continue here um, with your calls. Uh, Let's go to Paul in Ohio. Hey, Paul, you're on with Rich Valdez. Uh, Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, Yeah, thanks, Biden. Uh, We really appreciate that. But um, 
anyway, um, th- this has been kind of sketchy because it was just a couple days ago, but um, uh, I think it happened in Houston, Texas, um, where a guy came into a diner, face mask on, hat and everything, and had what appeared to be a gun in his hand and held everybody up, took their wallets, purses, whatever. And there was a patron sitting at the table there. And as he uh, went to exit the restaurant, the patron jumped up and shot him nine times, you know? And, um, yeah, and I, I do believe he killed him. I mean, uh, nine's a little excessive, but I would like to see what happens with this guy because all he's doing, just like Kyle Rittenhouse is protecting his second amendment rights in my opinion. And I just would like to know your opinion on that because there's going to be a trial and I'd like to see him get treated fairly because those people had to be terrified. Maybe this would stop some of this crime. Well, two things there, Paul. Uh, the first one is, no, it's not stopping anything because that same diner was robbed again today. And uh, that the second robber didn't get shot. But what I will say is I saw the video. And again, I wasn't there, so I can't make judgments. I think everybody in that diner should have had a gun and everybody you know, should have done what they could to defend themselves because you have to... You just have to protect yourself when you're getting robbed. You can't let the other guy rob you. I mean, some people might tell you that, but I think that's that's uh, not ideal. It's not ideal for you to go eat and to get robbed at gunpoint. Uh, what I will say is I saw the video, and it looks in the video as if he, the guy is leaving. And then uh, the patron begins shooting him while the guy's leaving. De- depending on the state, probably not in, in Texas, but I know in states like New York and, and New Jersey, they have these uh, duty to retreat clauses as part uh, uh, of the stand your ground uh, legal doctrine. So meaning you can only stand your ground if you've already met your duty to retreat. And being that the guy was leaving, I don't know if they're, if they're going to make the case saying that you, you there was nowhere else for him to retreat to. I mean, maybe he could have gone out the back door. That's what the case that they're probably the prosecutor is probably going to try and make. And, and this is going to a grand jury. My uh, my my supposition here is that they're going to look at that. And I think they're also going to look at the fact that the guy was already down. And it looks like the guy takes the gun away from him or kicks it away from him or grabs it. And because he kind of leans down. And then after he does that move, he comes back up, takes aim again and shoots him again. What seems to be a, a shot in the head and uh, or at least to the face area, uh, the the upper part of the body. And uh, that I think he's going to get in trouble for. I I really do think he's going to get in trouble for that. Am I going to say he should? I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know if the guy was trying to get at him or trying to go for the gun and he thought his life was in danger. I don't know. But I know that's probably what they're going to show to the jury. And it's going to be up to the defense to say, no, this guy was, you know, in fearing for his life and that's, he was walking away and the guy, he thought he had another gun on him and he reached for it and he shot him again. So uh, we're going to see. I don't know. I think it's different from Rittenhouse and that Rittenhouse ha- was an excellent marksman, took him out, few shots, did what he had to do. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. Thanks, Paul. More calls coming up. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Sharon in Crane, Missouri for the last call on Open Phone America. Sharon, you're on with Rich Valdez. 
Hello, Rich. Okay, Hi. the people in, uh, I believe it was New York, wherever it was, that were complaining about their food and stuff. Mm. All right, you feed them beans and rice. That's it. You restrict the booze. You don't let any booze into the hotel so they can get access to it. You tell them they have to clean up after themselves, or you're going to put them on a plane and you're going to ship them back out of the country. And and you cut off the funding to the nonprofits down there at the border that are more or less aiding these people to come into this country. And every religion in this country has got a group down there because they are using that money to fill their coffers Mm -hmm. and to fill the seats in their churches. And if a person is a real bad problem, what you do is you find out where they're from, you show them how to use a parachute, and you put them on a plane, (laughs) and you fly them back over their country, and you say, see this? When you get out in the air, pull this cord and say bye-bye. I think you would be a great uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. You're a lot tougher than Alejandro Mayorkas is. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate it. And uh, to the rest of America that's listening, I want to thank you as well. I appreciate all of your calls and your feedback online and otherwise. And uh, remember, you got to stand for something. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Right? That's Hamilton and Sir Edmund Burke right there with that quote. And hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, we're going to do this again tomorrow night. God willing, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America at Night. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.